Welcome to the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Sacco. I'm a longtime spondy looking to bring the community closer to give the community a voice. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life. Enjoy and learn what is available to make your life better. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast. I can't believe it. This is the 77th episode and I'm very excited to release this episode. It's an episode I've been wanting to do for a while and it's with a disability attorney. So yes, this one will be primarily directed towards American audiences. I hope that you in other countries are able to draw some helpful information from it. Speaking of other countries, this week we had some downloads come in from a country called the Marishes, which is an island just to the east of Madagascar off the coast of Africa. So that made the 104th country that has uh, somebody has downloaded episodes of this show. That is beyond anything that I ever thought would happen. And it's so amazing to continue to bring together people from around the globe to listen to the show and hopefully, if nothing more, just not feel alone. So I hope everybody goes out and likes the new website, checks it out. Go to spondypodcast.com. I launched it last week. Sign up for the newsletter. You will get a prompt when you go on there. And you feel free to check out all the different uh, players on the side, on the right-hand side of the page, where you can listen to the show at. And also, if you'd like to support the show, please feel free to utilize either the Patreon or the Buy Me a Coffee link. Either one of those would be fantastic, would be much appreciated. And with that, let's go on to today's show with Jonathan Ginsberg, a disability attorney here in the United States located outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And Jonathan, welcome to the show. It's great to have an attorney on to really talk about this complicated case of disability that many of us with axial spondyloarthritis might encounter at some point. Could you tell me a little bit about your practice and how you've, long you've been doing disability law? Uh, yes, Jason. I appreciate you the time. Thank you for having me. I'm a disability attorney, Social Security disability attorney. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, although my practice is national. Um, I've been doing Social Security work for probably 26 or 27 years now. I've been in practice for a little over, over 30 years. So I've been doing this for you know the majority of my practice. I practice, again, in Atlanta with a small law firm called Ginsburg Law Offices. My wife and myself are the owners of it. My wife does workers' comp, a little bit of Social Security. And I've got a daughter who's a clinical ethicist, a bioethicist, and a part-time attorney with us. We also have another attorney who does some bankruptcy work. But my day-to-day is pretty much all Social Security disability. Where I really caught wind of what you're doing is your YouTube channel. And it, it was highly unusual to see such a wealth of information you have over 350 plus videos, I think it is, on all sorts of disability topics on your YouTube channel. I do, and I appreciate that. Yes, the YouTube channel kind of grew organically. A number of years ago, I wrote a book. I had a client that was basically talking to me about all the forms that Social Security makes a disability applicant complete, and that there's really not much in the way of instructions, and the forms keep getting more complicated and longer, and how am I supposed to fill them out? So it kind of 
you know, germinated an idea that, you know, I need to maybe do something about this. I wrote a how-to book, which is still actually available at disabilityforms.com. But from that, I started getting calls from people really all over the country. You know, I need a lawyer. i got a question, things like that. So I started recording videos. I'm sort of a photography type of person. I did this in high school and so forth. I started recording videos, had no idea what I was doing. The first videos were just awful, technically. But over time, I got a little bit better with it. And it sort of became just kind of a, a thing I just have been doing. And it's, it's a lot of fun for me. I think I'm giving back a little bit. I think as an attorney, unfortunately, the law can be in many ways sort of a black box to, to a lot of folks. Uh, there's not a lot of explanation. In Social Security in particular, there's not a lot of good information about there about how the process works. So I thought, you know, let me just put it out there. Obviously, if, if someone is going to see that and, and gain from it, then that's good karma for me. Obviously, there's some of those folks do call me for, you know, for consultations or to hire me. But uh, I think the main thing is just to get information out there uh, so people understand how this very confusing process works. Because quite frankly, when I started doing it before I started, I had no idea what it was. And it really didn't make a lot of sense to me until really a couple of years in to my practice where I started to really understand the main issues in a disability case. So hopefully the, the videos will, and I've also got a podcast, will help shortcut that, uh, that learning process for a lot of folks. And for the listeners, I'll have links to not only Jonathan's website, but the YouTube, his YouTube channel as well as his podcast so that you can delve in and look at all the different things that are offered. But let's kind of take a, a step back, if you can, and the person comes along, and, and I've had to make this decision to go on disability or at least attempt to go on disability. It's a very, not only challenging, because, you know, many cases we, we value ourselves based upon the work that we do, but once I decide I, I think it's time to go on disability, do you like to be called before a person even applies, or do you like to be called after they've been denied maybe one time, or what's kind of the way you like to, to work the process? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of neutral about that. I mean, for a long time, I would tell people, wait till you get denied. Um, realize that about a third of the cases when people apply, about a third of the time, they're going to be approved. So the Social Security does approve, again, about a third of applica applications. And then uh, many times I'll get uh, hired after that. I work on a contingency. There's, there's no, no fee unless you win. But obviously, if you can get approved early, why pay an attorney? But more recently, I'm taking cases earlier on in the process because, again, it's just a very opaque process, and, and I'll just give you an example of one reason why I think that it sometimes can help to get approved, to get an attorney early. You know, when, when you apply, they ask you for the names of all your medical providers, the hospitals and doctors. Well, one of the things I've learned over the years is that when you provide information about your doctors, you need to contact the doctor, get the mailing address for medical records, as opposed to the place you actually get treated at. Because if you don't do it that way, if you just give them the place you were treated at, the request for medical information that Social Security will do could get lost in the shuffle. But if you give them the address for medical records, it won't. So I've had people get approved early simply because we gave the adjudicator, the decision maker, the right address for medical records. Again, that's not something anybody would necessarily know, but I've learned it over the years. So, you know, sometimes when I get, get involved early, I'll do it so I can make sure the medical records get uh, requested properly, or if the person meets a listing or a grid rule, which are a couple of the theories of disability, I can point that out early on. We can get them approved early. So I'm kind of neutral. You know, sometimes people, they don't even know what to do. They don't know how to do the application. They'll call me. And 
well, you know, we'll go ahead and do it. I have a paralegal, very talented paralegal. We'll go ahead and get the application filed person. If we get them approved, generally there's not much attorney's fees because there's a not a lot of past due benefits. That's how I get paid, and there's a five-month waiting period. So, you know, I may get, get a couple hundred dollars, but the person may get approved early. So, again, that's all, all for the good. So I would say that, you know, many people, I tell them, if you want to go ahead and apply, no harm in doing that. But if you can get denied, you know, call an attorney like me. But if you don't feel comfortable filling out the application, you want to go ahead and make sure it's done, you know, with a little, a little more uh, care just because uh, we've done a lot of them, then call me early. So roughly two-thirds of the people are going to be denied. But it sounds Correct. like some of that could be simply because, as you said, wrong address, your doctor didn't respond back maybe in a timely manner because of a wrong address. It sounds like there could be procedural things as well as actual medical, you know, issues. Absolutely. Absolutely procedural. And I'll tell you another reason why people get denied early. Social Security defines disability in terms of how your medical problem impacts your capacity for work, but there's also a duration requirement, meaning that you have to show that your medical condition has lasted or is expected to last 12 consecutive months or result in death. Well, if somebody stops working and they apply, they haven't been out for 12 months. But the, app, but the definition says, you know, is it, is it has lasted or is expected to last 12 consecutive months. So sometimes it's as simple as getting a statement from the doctor that this person's impairment is likely to, at this level, at a disabling level, is likely to last 12 consecutive months. That's all the adjudicator would need. But again, if you don't, if you don't know that, and you don't know how to get that in there, or if you don't know the listing or the grid rule or the, you know, the, the theory of disability to tell them what they want to speak their language, you won't get approved. So yes, there is a procedural element to it. There's kind of this mystery element to it where Social Security, because it's such a large agency, has made things very, very, you know, bureaucratic. And if you don't know how to speak their language, more likely than not, you're going to get denied because the adjudicators or claims adjusters have very limited authority to make decisions if it doesn't fall specifically in that in that pigeonhole as it were they're going to turn you down even if you are clearly deserving very interesting so yeah there's really a, a minefield to navigate through which is where your longevity of doing this your your background your you're just repetitively doing this is really going to come into play and possibly help somebody i, I hope so i think that uh, again you know people ask about, you know, what does an attorney do? And again, we get paid just, you know, it's not no secret. We're paid 25% of past due benefits with a cap of $6,000. And somebody says, well, you know, why should I give up, you know, 25% or $6,000 of my past due benefits to an attorney when I can do this myself? And I absolutely do it yourself. Problem is that it's, it's one of these things where there's really no great guidance as to how to do it. And, and the last thing, and with all due respect to anybody who's doing it themselves, the last thing one would want to do is go to a hearing in front of a judge. You've been waiting a year and a half, two years for a hearing. You have 45 minutes and not to know what to do because the judges aren't going to take the time. They don't have, they don't have the time to walk somebody through it. So again, I think that what an attorney does is just really a lot of, most of the work we do is before the hearing and during the process, just to make sure that all social security's rules and, and procedures are followed. And that's, that's a big part of what we do. Mine was unique, and I can tell anybody that is listening that hasn't applied yet, it's really, well, it might not seem hard filling out the applications and stuff, and that's really, the, the difficult part is when you submit it, it kind of goes into this black box of hurry up and wait. And yep. you do get some feedback from Social Security, 
but it's very little and, and very far between. And I think that's really, I did it. I was very lucky to be part of that 30% that was approved on the first go around because of bilateral hip replacements and ongoing issues with AS. But I can certainly see how you put that in there and, and there's so little feedback you get from Social Security that you're really just sitting there going, did I do it right? Is it in there? You know, it, it would be a very harrowing situation. Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, the adjudicators who are the claims adjusters that work for the state, and again, this is one of these sort of strange quirks of Social Security laws. When you file an application, Social Security contracts with your state, a, an office in your state. It could be, you know, Department of, of Human Resources or Department of Vocational Rehabilitation. Literally, there's, you know, in every state, there's a different name for it. Sometimes they call it the DDS, and sometimes the DAS, and sometimes there's all these different names. So it's basically the state you live in will do the evaluation, and these adjudicators are given very strict guidelines as to what they're allowed to do. And again, if you don't speak their language, if you don't know how to tell them what's going on, you know, they just don't have time to it, and they're not, they're not obligated to explain it to you. They just don't have time, and if it's not done right, they just say denied, push it on down to the next person, and you know, then, then you get denied, and you don't know why. And, there's, and, and the thing is, when they give you an explanation, they'll send you a form letter, which basically says, we, we see that you're claiming disability based on X, Y, and Z, but we've made the determination that you still have the capacity for work. These are the records we looked at, and that's all they tell you. So there's really nobody to talk to. Uh, they make it difficult to talk to these folks because, again, they're not really set up to negotiate with people or discuss it with people. And, you know, they use an in-house doctor that works with Social Security, typically a retired physician. So that whole process is just very sort of behind the curtains, and nobody really knows what or why they're doing what they're doing. And then all you know is you get a, a notice that you've been denied and you've got to appeal it. In fact, I, one of the things that's kind of a pet peeve of mine, people get denied and take it very personally. Because they're like, how can this person say I'm able to work when I know I can't? And they get denied, and they, they don't appeal. And you only have 60 days to appeal. So, you know, two months sounds like a lot of time. But, you know, if, you, if you're going to get an attorney, you've got to take the time to do that. People don't appeal, then they, they have to reapply. And then they, I've seen people that reapplied and reapplied five or six times, and they may be giving up past due benefits by doing that because um, when you reapply, Social Security may not look at the time period uh, from the prior application. So... Again, it's just a very, unfortunately uh, and unnecessarily, in my view, a very confusing process. But, you know, this is unfortunately what the law is in general. I mean, I've done bankruptcy work over the years, same thing. It's just a very confusing process, and they just don't make it easy. And Social Security is especially opaque because it's, um, it's this large bureaucracy, and they just don't have time to deal with individuals. They're, they're looking at these claims sort of as numbers, and uh, all you can do is to work within their system. I want to make sure to the listeners, we're talking with Jonathan Ginsburg, and this is really applicable to the United States. Canada, UK, anywhere else, you're going to have a different system. And I apologize, this might not be applicable to you. But with that, some of these items might be beneficial. And as we look at recording this right now in, in November of 2020, we have this issue we're dealing with and with its COVID and the lockdowns and the slowdown of the court systems. What, how has that affected disability claims and how has that helped or hindered your ability to work around the nation for people? Well, actually, it's, it's kind of interesting because Social Security, I'll give them credit because they've done a good job with this. They've moved 
to a virtual setup where basically all the adjudicators, the claims adjusters, as well as the judges are working from home. Hearings, which used to be done in person, are now being done over the phone and shortly to be done by video from your home. So I'm literally doing hearings in my home office and I get a phone call from the, the judge or from the judge's hearing assistant. They me on the call, they get the claimant on the call, the vocational expert, um, and we do these hearings by phone. So for me, I can do hearings really any place. I've done hearings just last week, you know, judge out of Chicago. Uh, I had one, you know, recently judge out of California, Alabama. It just doesn't really matter. Social Security is actually the backlog for hearings, which was a real problem and has been a long a problem for a long time that would sometimes get to be, you know, a year and a half, two years, has really improved. So I think Social Security has done a good job at allocating the judges so that we're giving cases to, to hearings a little bit faster. The backlog has been not so, so good at the initial and the reconsideration, the first appeal stage, where the adjudicators are having to work from home. They have a lot of security concerns because the information they're dealing with is, you know, private medical information. So we're finding that the initial and the first appeal are taking longer than they used to. It used to be, you know, two, three, four months. Now it's five, six months, whereas the hearing delays are getting shorter. So still the time frame is about a year and a half to two years in general. But Soskriti has done a good job pivoting away from the live hearings and the live staff office environment to more of a virtual environment. And so that's been a good thing. Again, it's it made it a lot easier for me. I don't have to travel to go to hearings. Um, I can do them virtually. So that's been actually a good thing. You know, one of the things that people do have trouble with is going to the doctor because many doctors have limited office hours or they're, they're doing telemedicine. In some conditions, you need to actually see a person and, and physically have contact with that person. So I think it's, it's hurt that a little bit. I will say just in general, and this is just my experience, that many judges seem to be more understanding of how difficult it is for someone with a medical problem to find work. Because remember, social security is about work capacity. So I'm seeing an uptick, at least in my office, in approvals on cases that are a little more marginal. You know, a case that might have been turned down a year ago, a year and a half ago, is now being approved because I think the judges recognize that it's really difficult for even a healthy, young, healthy person to get work, much less a person with AS or some other significant medical problem to find work. So I'm finding that judges are, are a little more open to listening to why since medical problems would, would prevent work. So again, the summary is the time frame has probably gotten a little bit better than it was uh, maybe by you know three, four, five months. I think the judges are being a little more open to listening to what's going on. And you know, again, for me personally, it's been actually very helpful to have the virtual hearings because it eliminates the travel uh, time and cost. So uh, all in all, uh, my practice really hasn't missed a beat. Which is great, which means you could theoretically on Monday represent somebody in Florida, Tuesday in Virginia, and Wednesday in Wyoming. And absolutely not miss a beat because you don't have to be on a plane traveling to all those different places. Correct. And the other thing Social Security has done well, and again, give credit where credit's due, is that years ago they moved from a physical file to an all-electronic file. So so when I look, want to look at a file, I can I have electronic access to my client's files, not anybody else's. So I can prepare my cases you know, using the electronic filing system so I can look at all the medical records, all the things in the Social Security file. So really, it's very much of a virtual practice now. Uh, I hope that continues because I think it's better for everybody. You know, the delays have gotten better and, and, uh, and all that. But uh, yeah, right now, I'm, I'm literally doing exactly what you said. I'll, I'll 
have a case in Florida one day, you know, Chicago the next day, California, Oklahoma, Texas. Uh, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, Arizona, I've had them. So yeah, I can be, I can really be in any place at any any time, just as long as there's no conflict, and they're pretty good about working that out. So yeah, it's, it's been actually uh, very helpful uh, to me and made me a lot more efficient. Uh, let's look at a couple of myths that I see bantered around about applying in that, you know, number one, if you're under 50, you're just not going to get approved. Yeah, I think that that is a myth. And and part of that is because one of the theories of disability is something called the grid rules or the medical vocational guidelines, which only apply to people over 50. I would say as a practical matter, you know, the younger you are, the the stronger the evidence has to be. So a 25-year-old is going to have a much more difficult time convincing a judge uh, that they are disabled than a person who's 53. And part of that is because judges are under a lot of pressure uh, to not, um, you know, empty out the Social Security Trust Fund. There's also a big narrative in Congress where a lot of people in Congress feel Social Security judges are too lenient and they're trying to, and they want to really cut back on the approvals. So um, my general feeling is that if you're 45, 47 plus, you know, the standard is going to be pretty, pretty solid. As long as you've got good medical, you've got a pretty good shot at it. If you're 25, 30, 35, it's going to be more difficult, not impossible, but more difficult. And I'm going to need stronger evidence, more support from your doctor, maybe some non-medical evidence as well. And generally those cases, you know, I'm looking at, at medical problems that are at a really, really severe level. But it, but it is not true at all. You can be, I've had clients that are 22 and 23 that I've gotten improved. But again, they've got to have a really, really solid medical record. Okay, and what about, well, I'll apply for disability and work until I'm approved. Yeah, that's a tough one because in theory, if you're not engaging in what they call substantial gainful activity, which is a concept in Social Security that's roughly equivalent to work. In other words, if you're working at or doing something at SGA level, substantial gainful activity, that could be going to school, that could be working, that could be volunteering, then you are not disabled. The problem is, is that one way to evaluate SGA or substantial gainful activity is looking at your income. So, you know, you may be below the threshold, which like, let's round numbers are around $1,300 a month uh, gross. But if you're earning $1,000 a month consistently, then the judge is going to look at it certainly and say, well, you know, if this person just put in another day or two, they could be over that threshold. I always like to tell my clients, in my view, Social Security sees disability in somewhat black and white terms. Either you're disabled or you're not. If you're working part-time, I think that muddies the water. I think it makes it more difficult, certainly at the initial and recon, the adjudication level or the administrative level. um, I think that if they see work after your alleged onset, they're pretty much going to deny you. And certainly when I get to hearings and there's earnings after onset, um, I'm going to have to explain it. And I've had judges that will change the onset date to a point where the person's work really got to that, you know, two or $300 a month or zero. But I tell folks, you know, even though I think work is, is obviously a positive, it's good for you financially, it's good for you socially. You mentioned the whole notion of labeling yourself as disabled, which is not a good thing either. Work is great. I think people should work as long as they can, can do so. But if you make the decision to file for disability, in my view, you sort of have to make a decision, either I'm working or I'm not. But if you work part-time, you can't be halfway disabled. Either you are or you're not. And again, in my view, if you're earning $1,000, $1,100 a month, that makes it more difficult to win disability benefits. And then lastly, once I go on disability, well, I'll just work part-time 
and bump up my income level and stay under that threshold. That threshold. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that in, for some reason, and I think another reason why, is that after you're approved, Social Security is, gives you a little more leeway in terms of working. Um, they want people to get off a of disability. So they have a number of programs. One, the big one is called the trial work period where you can work and earn as, you know, as much as you want, $10,000 a month. And you can, do, you can do that for nine months in any five-year period of time without affecting your benefits. So if somebody wants to try to work and they go back to work for three or four months and they're earning you know, large amounts of money, that's fine. There's, also, there's a threshold for the trial work period month. I think it's 800 and something dollars a month. Uh, if you earn below that, you don't use up one of your trial work periods. Uh, and that changes every year, so I don't want to hone in on a particular number. And then they've got the, the SGA number, which again is around thirteen hundred dollars a month. If you go over SGA, then you know they may try to cut you off. But you know they give you some leeway. They want you to try to work. They want you to try to get back into the work setting. What you have to be careful about is if you work beyond what you're allowed to work. If you use up your trial work period months, or you go over SGA, you could find yourself in an overpayment situation. And they may not, Social Security may not find out or may not notify you for three or four years. So I've had a number of cases over, the, over my practice, in my years in practice, where somebody gets a letter and Social Security says, you, you know, we, we overpaid you by $30,000 over the last five years. Here's an envelope. Send it in within the next week, which obviously nobody can do. And there's, you know, there are, there's a way you can ask for an administrator forgiveness of that. You can ask for a hearing. But it's, it's, it's a really tough thing. So I would say... If somebody decides to work, they need to get very familiar with the, the, the rules for trial work periods and substantial gainful activity and really keep track of when they received, the, when they were paid, not when they did the work, when they actually were paid to make sure they don't go over those, um, uh, those limits because it can get really nasty if you have a big overpayment. And Social Security can be unforgiving uh, with regard to that, although it is, by the way, at this point at least dischargeable in bankruptcy. And I've had to do that a couple of times for folks. So big picture is, yes, you can try to work, but be aware there are some very, very picky rules. You've got to be real careful about that so you don't get into an overpayment situation. Interesting. So you could actually run afoul of Social Security disability and end up having it discharged in a, a bankruptcy situation. Correct. That is, and, and there have been some efforts in Congress to eliminate that dischargeability for overpayments, but so far it has not uh, come to pass. So right now you can and again, you know, overpayments are very, very disconcerting to say the least when somebody gets a letter saying you owe all this money, they'll withhold tax returns and, and things like that. You know, and another point, just a brief point about working, I get calls from people, you know, I've got a stock portfolio that I manage or I have, you know, I do a little bit of, you know, selling on Etsy or, or Facebook. Is that considered a problem? And it's a tough call because it's really a matter of, not so much what you're earning, but what you're doing. So if you're doing something kind of on a regular basis for, um, you know, four or five hours a day, that's a little more problematic. If you're managing, you know, a stock portfolio and you look at it once every two or three days and you may buy and sell three or four times a month, probably not an issue. But got to be, what I tell people is when you get on disability, if you're doing anything of any substance, uh, you know, whether you're volunteering, whether you're working, whether you're just watching your grandkids, keep track keep a contemporaneous uh, tra calendar or notes of what you're doing so if later on you're asked 
what you're doing, you can explain it because Social does these continuing reviews. They have two forms. There's a short form and a long form where they will ask you, and it's, sometimes it's random, sometimes it's based on what the judge has put in the decision, but they're going to look pretty much look at almost everybody and ask them you know, what you have been doing. And if it looks like you're doing work, they could move for termination. And again, sometimes there's an overpayment problem, and certainly the bigger problem is getting benefits terminated if this is what you rely on. So not that you shouldn't try to work, but just know the rules is what I would say. And speaking of that, with the trial work period, they also have the ticket to work, which that trial work period, I believe, might be considered part of it? Yeah, I don't know much about the ticket to work. It's, it's one of those programs that, you know, I think that they you have to work through a, one of the agencies in the state, and they give you a ticket, which allows you to try to get some work, and they encourage you to do so without affecting your benefits. The problem with the ticket to work is it's been a failure. They have very, very few people who have done it. And I think part of this because the rules are confusing, but I think part of it is that, you know, I think a lot of people are really wary about risking their benefits to try to work because the perception is if they try to work, the Social Security is going to say, well, now you said you can work, so we're going to cut you off. I don't think that, I think that fear is maybe a little bit overblown, but yeah, I think that, that you know, there have certainly been some uh, stories that people have told on the various forums that, you know, they went, did the ticket to work, they did trial work period, and the next thing you know, they got a, a notice of, of uh, continuing disability review. So, you know, maybe there's something to it, but um, I think, again, the ticket to work, there's been, there's been some talk uh, in Social Security about redoing it and changing it up, but the current ticket to work program has been an abject failure. Very, very few people have taken advantage of it. Interesting. And I can see where it would be very beneficial. Obviously, from a governmental standpoint, you want somebody paying into the coffers, not taking out. So if there's a way to get somebody off of disability that possibly can come off of it, that's beneficial, you know, from the big picture standpoint. Sure. And I think it's also beneficial. Yeah, from beneficial for the person, too. I mean, right. if, you know, if your condition stabilizes and you can work, you're going to be happier. You're going to make more money. You're going to be more social you know, to work. If you can, absolutely. I think that, you know, nobody should, nobody wakes up, in, you know, or as, or as a child and says, I want to be on disability. I think everybody sees it as a last resort. But if you have no choice, it's there. But yeah, you don't want to risk it because if you really can't work and you rely on that, you know, you don't need some bureaucrat in, in an office someplace deciding you're able to work and cutting you off and now you've got no money coming in. That, that's a real disaster. Yeah, the the removal of that safety net is a very scary proposition. Yep. So with that said, you are again in Georgia, out, you know, you're in the Atlanta area. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? They can certainly email me directly. My email is my last name, Ginsberg, G-I-N-S-B-E-R-G at gmail.com. Uh, they can call me uh, 770-770. 770-393-4985. They can visit me online. I've got a website called for the, the number four social security disability.com. I have a website called meetalisting.com, which is another a website where I talk about the social security listings. I've got one called grid rules, G-R-I-D-R-U-L-E-S, gridrules.net, which is another one. I have a podcast called ssdradio.com. Uh, and I've got other websites, but those are the main ones. But again, anybody who has any questions, you know, quick question, I'm happy to answer those. I respond to a lot of questions. I also respond to 
the comments on the YouTube channel. I think you're going to put a, a link to that. I've got a lot of videos out there, and I do respond to the comments there. People have questions. And again, I think this is just an area that needs to be a little more clearly explained to folks. And sometimes just a, a quick answer to a question can lead them down the right path, and I'm happy to do that if I, if I can. Great. Well, Jonathan, I appreciate your time. It's great because there's so many questions that revolve around this, and there's so much bad information out there. That's what I love about your YouTube channel is it's very concise. They're they're short to the specific topic videos, and my goodness, are there all sorts of topics out there. So it's not just ankylosing spondylitis. If you have other disabling conditions, you've probably done a video on it. Yeah, probably I probably have. I'm I'm always in fact one of the things I always I do you know once or twice a year is I'll put a video out asking people what do you want me to talk about because sometimes you know a question that would be you know front and center with somebody who's facing the disability process might not be something that I've thought of so I'm always looking for ideas so if anybody listening to this has any ideas for videos let me know because um, I've got a I've got a, a, a simple setup again now with the technology where it is literally a a video camera and some lights, and I can pop a video out uh, pretty quickly. Uh, I do a little research on it. So, yeah, if, if there's any any co- topics or concepts that somebody wants to know about, let me know, and I'll, I'll put it in the queue. Yeah, it's amazing. I was just popping through some of your videos earlier today, and there's a video you just put out a couple weeks ago, and it's already got 48,000 views. That's huge. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Some of these videos kind of go viral, and it's it's just interesting. I don't know, you know, my son, um, who's 27, uh, he's he has a full-time job, and he does my videos, kind of produces them and edits them, and so we'll kind of joke about it. You know, we don't know which ones are going to go viral, or sometimes it just it hits a topic that people really want to know about, and uh, I'll put it out there. And, you know, I find a lot of times people want to know mistakes to avoid or tips to, to win or what's working now or, you know, how the, as one of the questions you ask, how the coronavirus a pandemic has affected things. So sometimes I'll put one out, then it just it just picks up a ton of views. One I did a number of years ago, which I kind of revisit periodically, is you know how to avoid being tricked by a judge, trick questions. And not that judges are trying to trick people up, but they sometimes ask questions for a particular reason. And if you don't know what they're really asking, you might answer incorrectly. So I explain, I kind of decipher what that question meant. And that was something that people found very interesting. And again, I love it, get a lot of comments, and I love that because I think you know YouTube is a is a, 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 a social network. I mean, it's really something where there should be an exchange. I think that you know, as a YouTuber or somebody who produces a lot of YouTube videos, I think it's sort of your obligation to answer questions. This is not a one way street. You want people to to talk to you because again, I want to know what people want to want to know about, so I can I can give it to them. It's a fantastic channel, and again, everybody go to the show notes and follow the link. You'll absolutely be amazed at the just overwhelming amount of content here that you can just start picking and choosing as you go through, uh, as you work your way down this path towards disability. So, Jonathan, I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jason, anytime, and I thank you for uh, inviting me. I really enjoyed it. We'll look forward to having you on again in the future, but you know, anybody listening, you have disability questions, thinking about applying, reach out to Jonathan and let him, you know, talk you through briefly what some of your options are and, and then go from there. So again, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. We'll talk, talk again soon. Yes, sir.